0: This is the RTE News at One with Brian Dobson. Good afternoon. The headlines this Tuesday lunchtime. A landmark EU law aimed at protecting nature has been approved by the European Parliament. One of Russia's best-known human rights campaigners, Oleg Orlov, has been jailed for two and a half years by a court in Moscow. And mediators attempting to broker a ceasefire in Gaza are said to be strongly pushing the Israelis and Hamas to accept
1: a draft deal. The news in detail with Brian Jennings. The European Parliament has approved the Nature Restoration Law by a margin of 54 votes. Under the law, member states will have two years to plan how they will restore 20% of the EU's land and sea areas by 2030 and all ecosystems by 2050. Farmers have objected to the climate goals set out in the legislation, which they say will threaten their livelihoods. From Strasbourg, here's Tommy Meskel of our political staff.
2: The future of the nature restoration law was cast into doubt last night when the largest group in the European Parliament the European People's Party decided to vote against it. Fine Gael MEPs who are members of the group defied that instruction and decided to support the nature restoration law instead. This afternoon in Strasbourg the majority of the Parliament also approved the law by a margin of 54 votes. Midlands Northwest MEP Luke Mink Flanagan voted against the law and in a surprise move so too did Sinn Féin's Chris McManus. Today's vote was seen as the final significant hurdle the nature restoration law faced. It's expected to be rubber stamped by EU environment ministers next month. Tommy Meskel, RTE News, Strasbourg.
1: It's reported that Hamas leaders are studying a draft agreement for a temporary ceasefire in Gaza. The document emerged from talks in Paris, mediated by Qatar and Egypt. Qatari officials have said they've been pushing both delegations very hard to accept the deal. U.S. President Joe Biden said he was hopeful a pause in fighting could start next week before the Muslim holy month of Ramadan begins. Scott Anderson, the Deputy Director of Affairs for the U.N. aid agency UNRWA in Gaza, said people in the territory were desperate to hear some good news. Over 100,000 people have been impacted uh, by
2: this conflict. Uh, nearly 30,000 have died in Gaza. Over 70,000 have been injured. There's very few families that you can find that have not been impacted in some way, either through death or injury. And there's also just a grain of hope that there will be a ceasefire and people can begin to rebuild their lives.
1: A court in Russia has sentenced a prominent human rights campaigner, Oleg Orlov, to two and a half years in jail, for denouncing Russia's war in Ukraine. Orlov, who's 70, was found guilty of repeatedly attempting to discredit the Russian army. The judge ordered that he serve his time in a penal colony. His sentence comes 10 days after Russia's top opposition politician, Alexei Navalny, died in a Russian prison, prompting outrage and condemnation from Western leaders and his supporters. The Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, will face questions at the Oireachtas Media Committee later today on the circumstances that led to the resignation of Shulni Shulnirahili as chair of the RT board. On his way into a cabinet meeting this morning, the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, echoed comments made by the three coalition leaders supporting Minister Martin.
2: She's been doing a, a very difficult job over the last number of months uh, trying to get information uh, and has been supported in many respects by the work of the different Oireachtas committees. But it has been difficult at times. It has been really challenging. And so uh, I think it's important that uh, the government stands square behind the minister uh, and supports her at a time now when you know, she has to go before go before the Oireachtas committee uh, and take questions for a number
1: of hours. The meeting of the Oireachtas Media Committee, which is expected to last three hours, is scheduled to begin at 7 o'clock this evening. Proceedings will be broadcast on the RT News Channel. The Irish Wheelchair Association has called on the Government to introduce legislation to make buildings and facilities safer for its members who use public transport. It has described Ireland's lack of mandatory requirements for disability access to public transport as inconsistent and chaotic. Our social affairs correspondent, Alva Keneally
3: catching a bus is becoming increasingly dangerous for disabled people according to the Irish wheelchair Association a finding from a report it will present in Leinster house this afternoon entitled getting nowhere shows that Ireland has no mandatory requirements for disability access to public transport infrastructure the organization is calling for national transport accessibility regulations for public transport infrastructure throughout the country the majority of Iwa members have told the organization they feel particularly when they have to cross cycle lanes to catch buses. The Wheelchair Association has stressed the issue is not with those who use cycle lanes, it's about the infrastructure being built. The National Transport Authority has acknowledged that managing the interactions between pedestrians, cyclists and buses at bus stops is a complex issue, but it said it does seek to balance conflicting requirements, taking account of all users.
1: And now the weather. RTE Radio 1 Weather with Grant. For highly efficient, sustainable home heating for your new build, choose Grant's A-triple-plus-rated Aerona heat pump. Visit grant.ie. It'll be cloudy with the rain and drizzle across the south and east that'll gradually clear away this afternoon. There'll be sunny spells and isolated showers moving in from the northwest. Highest temperatures will range from eight to twelve degrees. Brian,
0: thank you, Brian. Still to come this lunchtime, the European Parliament passes the EU Nature Restoration Law despite intense farmer opposition. We'll have reaction and talk to Minister Malcolm Noonan about what happens next. As teacher Enoch Burke remains in prison in his row with Wilson's Hospital School, a judge says it's extremely unsatisfactory that he's still being paid his salary. A plan to extract water from the shannon to supply dublin irish waters angela ryan answers their critics as they seek government go ahead and a galway animal welfare charity alarmed at the rising number of unwanted and abandoned working dogs
2: did you know that you can spread the cost of your tv license across the year set up a direct debit now and pay just thirteen thirty-three a month If you have a TV, you must have a TV license. It's the law. See tvlicense.ie for more. Brought to you by the
3: Government of Ireland. So time is money. Slow answers cost time. Slow decisions cost money. And normally it's yours. If you're looking for a business loan, then you need to talk to Capital Flow. You'll speak to a real person who'll make a real decision real quick. Visit capitalflow.ie. Capital Flow, we're with you.
1: Terms and conditions apply. Capital Flow Group Doc Trading is Capital Flow Commercial Finance is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.
0: Hello again, you're listening to the news at one. The European Parliament, as we've been reporting, has approved the controversial nature restoration law by a margin of 54 votes. Under the measure, member states will have two years to plan how they'll restore 20% of land and sea areas to their natural state by 2030 and all ecosystems by 2050. The law has to be rubber-stamped by the Parliament's Environment Committee next month, but today's vote was seen as the final hurdle. Farmer groups have expressed concern about the potential impact on agricultural Land, while environmentalists say it's essential to reduce carbon emissions and to restore biodiversity. In a moment, we'll hear from Minister of State Malcolm Noonan, but first let's talk to the President of the Irish Creamy Milk Suppliers Association, Dennis Drennan, who's on the line now from Kilkenny. A very good afternoon to you, Mr. Drennan. Welcome to the programme. Now, the, the ICMSA had, really- had opposed uh, this measure, but it has now been passed by the European Parliament. It looks like it will become law. What are your questions? What are your concerns? What answers will you be looking to from government?
4: Well, I suppose first of all, I suppose we're not against nature restoration, but I suppose there's a lack of clarity as, as exactly what this means. Like, I mean, are, what are we looking to restore, and to what time frame? Like, are we looking to restore land to where it was five years ago, ten years ago, hundred years ago, or two hundred years ago? And th- what we're being told is it's all going to be done on state lands between Quelch Board and and the Office of Public Works. But we, you know, the figures don't seem to stack up as regards: is there enough land there that's suitable for for restoration, and is it going to go on to come come on to private lands, or so private landowners going to be affected? by this and if so, is there a budget uh, associated with doing this because we just sort of simply can't have a repeat of what happened back in the 90s where we had land designated for uh, special environmental issues and that land has been completely devalued and unworkable from a farming point of view because if any farmer who has these land de- or her mm-hmm. land designated, it's almost impossible to do anything on that land without carrying out environmental impact statements etc etc what, what uh, uh, which hearing is funded by the farmer
0: What we've been hearing from the government and we'll I presume hear it again from uh, Malcolm Noon in just a few minutes is that farmers will have the the, the freedom of choice whether they want to opt into these schemes that there is adequate land there under state ownership to meet this 20% target and farmers who want to take part can but it's entirely up to them.
4: Well, the 20% target, Brian, is just for 2030. It's when we start going for the targets that we have for 2040 and 2050. Like, I mean, there's no doubt that the state will have enough land to meet its 20% target by 2030. But when the squeeze comes on in 2040 and 2050, and a lot of people presume that this is just about land rewetting wetting and, and the bog area of moon will cover this, but a maximum of less than 50% can be bog re-wetting. So there's another 50% that's going to have to be carried out on what we might call normal land, and like we don't believe that the, the state has enough of that land that's going to be suitable for restoration, and that's just the concerns that we have. That you know, if the if the figures stack up, that's fine, and it's all going mm-hmm. to be done on state land. But if we're getting onto into into uh, private lands for uh, you know, this is people's mm. livelihoods we're talking about. But this perhaps is land that people have but worked perhaps on for there, generations.
0: There may well be farmers who who might be interested in, in in opting in, setting aside some of their land for this nature restoration, for rewetting, uh, uh, whatever term whatever term you want to use. Now th- there is a question question. question around the funding
4: of that absolutely there's absolutely no budget being provided for this at the moment so that's where we need the clarity on this like i mean if it's a thing that's going to be completely voluntary that's okay if there's a budget for it and some farmers may opt in or may not choose not to opt in but if this becomes mandatory and that's the fear that we have and there's no detail around that at the moment so that's what we're looking for We we certainly don't want to repeat what's happened in the past with designated areas and special areas of conservation SPAs you know what we really mm-hmm. want is we want a collaborative approach where the government will work with the farmers who have been the custodians of the land for generations, and work with us and, and try to come up with a plan that works for everybody. We don't we don't need all these rules and regulations imposed on farmers without any consultation. Uh,
0: the the focus here is on what I think is uh, described as peat soil land. Now not, not, we're not just talking about about bogs here, but about um, active agricultural land, but that is composed of, of peat soils. Now, are you convinced? that it might be possible to um, deliver some nature restoration while still having that land available for agricultural use?
4: Well, that's the clarity that we need. Like the, you know, the, the devil is always in the detail, and if that can be clarified, and I, that's what we're looking for. Is we want the government to work with farmers. It's like as I said, it's people's livelihoods we're dealing with. People who have fought, uh, worked on on this land for generations to make a, a living for themselves and their families, and we certainly don't want to repeat of what has happened in the past. So, if, if 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 Malcolm and the government are willing to come and sit down with us and discuss how this is going to be done, with a with a budget in place, if it's going to affect private landowners, well. And that's what we need, not just this thing of passing rules and then enforcing it on farmers because we see what's happening across Europe at the moment, like with, with farmers have just had enough. Um, and we don't we know we don't want we've had enough rules without budgets uh, and that's what we need is is cooperation between the governments and farmers
0: all right well plenty of questions there for Malcolm Noonan Dennis Trennan from the ICMSA thank you very much for that and as I say we're joined on the line now by the Minister for Nature Heritage and Electoral Reform Malcolm uh, Noonan thank you for taking uh, our call this afternoon uh, Minister quite a few questions there from Dennis you'll have heard what he had to say first of all um what is being restored here, or what is it aimed to restore? what what are you what is the aim of bringing the land back
5: to? First of all, I suppose today is a very historic day, Brian and a great day for nature and a great day for Europe and I really want to uh, express my gratitude to the Irish MEPs who showed ambition, particularly the Irish Fine Gael MEPs uh, and great credit to them. Um, secondly, I suppose to, to address the point I think we know that we uh, nature is in decline right across Europe and we know that we, uh, it, we have to do something very significant and that's where the origins of the nature restoration law have come and in, in addressing the, the concerns of Dennis and the ICMSA and other farm organisations. I'm certainly, and all the way along through this process over the last number of years, I've been very clear that we can't do this without the support of farmers, particularly in in relation to agricultural lands. Mm -hmm. And we have an ambitious plan. I think we're moving now in from today, and we have already embarked on a process where we will engage with farmers, with fishers, with foresters, and with other stakeholders mm. to ensure that this is a collaborative plan. And uh, in, in, in so regard to the question that that you asked,
0: because it is a good, it's a pretty basic, pertinent question. Um, if, if you take um, what is now currently agricultural land, um, what,
5: what would you like to see some some of it restored to? Well, uh, obviously, to, to see it restored, to see it actively. Working to, for nature and to ensure that habitat conditions improve, to ensure that species return, we look at our farmland birds mm-hmm. in significant decline. We want to see that reversed. So the cap rules are clear. Uh, Funding the farmers can get still get payments for additional work to restore nature while not affecting their cap payments. Secondly, and most significantly, is that the government has this year Im- put in place a climate and nature fund of three point one five billion euro, which will be underpinned by legislation from the Department of Finance to ensure that from twenty there will be a significant fund in place that farmers can participate in schemes many of which, and and we look across Mm -hmm. the country tens of thousands of farmers are already participating in in programmes and schemes to restore nature so it's already well underway
0: The target is 20% of, of, of land by 2030 what about beyond that?
5: Beyond that, we uh, we we have to restore all, all, all habitats towards twenty fifty. So it's quite it's quite significant, and we we know that uh, as Dennis has said as well that the we we can achieve uh, restoration targets on, on towards twenty thirty on state lands. Thereafter, there's quite a bit of science and quite a bit of discussion to take place. Uh, and again, what I've stated is that we want this to be a collaborative plan. Mm-hmm. We now have a two year process. But it to will mean beyond twenty. Plan.
0: Sorry, it will mean beyond twenty thirty um, agricultural land coming into the frame.
5: Yeah, but again on on a voluntary basis so farmers can participate in schemes as they're doing now up and down the length and breadth of the country. Thousands of farmers are already participating in schemes through life programmes, through farm plan, EIPs and the Acres Cooperation Project. So they're already doing it and what we're really saying is that these will be voluntary schemes. We've said Mm -hmm. this all along and again again, to give reassurance there to Dennis and to his colleagues and to all farmers that we want to do this as a collaborative Mm -hmm.
0: plan. Will there be a separate funding stream because that isn't included
5: in this legislation
0: There isn't a clear budget commitment to this.
5: There is, there's a. a there's, there's certainly as I said the the Climate and Nature Fund is is going to be in place from 2026 the legislation is being drafted by the Department of Finance at the moment and we're working closely with them to ensure that it works and will work for for nature and secondly I think uh, it was confirmed by Sean Kelly MEP this morning that there will be through the multi-annual financial framework at European level there should be a fund in place as well so I think this is a great opportunity for rural Ireland certainly an opportunity to deliver real funding into rural communities and I I think that we should look at this as a, as a very strong opportunity to restore nature, to restore good water quality, uh, and make uh, climate resilience as well as uh, good see, resilience you see, you for, local, for no farmers. You
0: know, the concern of many of many farmers is that their their cap funding, the various farm payments, will will be linked in some way to them buying into these uh, rewilding schemes.
5: No, not the case. And the, the cap rules are very clear that farming can still take place uh, where farmers are participating in schemes. So I think there's, I would see this as a huge opportunity for farmers. Uh, obviously, the detail we have to work out. We have to sit down with the farm organizations. We're already mm-hmm. designing that process. We want to go out and engage in a very collaborative and a very positive way to ensure that the schemes are designed with farmers in mind. And I think this is goes beyond farming because it affects fishers, foresters, into our urban areas as well. So there's quite a bit of engagement to take place over but the next number of is- years.
0: They're going to set aside a proportion of their, of their holdings for nature restoration. That, that's land that will no longer be able to deliver them an income and will no longer be economically productive.
5: Well, it will because they, they will, they they will be deriving an income from performing, uh, from using their land for ecosystem services to perform a function for nature. And having good, good, good nature on our lands and having good quality water will actually help productivity on land as well.
0: We leave it there. Minister Malcolm Noonan, thanks very much for talking to us on the programme. Ishka Aaron says demand in the greater Dublin area is continuing to rise and without an alternative new source, connections for large industrial water users may have to be curtailed within the next five years. The utility company has submitted a plan to government seeking to pipe water from the River Shannon across the Midlands and on to Dublin, Kildare and Meath within the next 10 years. However, a number of groups are opposing the proposal. To talk about this, we're joined by Angela Ryan, who's Asset Strategy Manager with Ishka Aaron and she's in studio. very good afternoon to you and welcome to the programme. Uh, good afternoon, Brian. Right. Um, first of all, what are you saying is going to happen to water supply in the greater Dublin area if there isn't uh, a new supply, whether it's from the Shannon or elsewhere?
6: Uh, so, Brian, we have a chronic issue with the water supply in the Greater Dublin area at present. So, there's very, very d- high demand for water. We don't have enough water in supply to meet that demand. So, we see that on a daily basis. Uh, really, we, we haven't got enough uh, production capacity. Uh, that situation will get worse uh, over time uh, due to high growth and uh, and the economy um, at, as, it, as it's going full tilt. How so much water uh, has present. been
0: lost through leakage?
6: Uh, so at present uh, within the greater Dublin area, about 33% of the water is being lost through uh, leakage, we estimate. However, we do have plans in place to reduce that to 20% over the next uh, seven right. is years.
0: That, is that leakage both from d- people's domestic pipes and from, this, from the system?
6: It is uh, from the system and there's a small amount more from uh, domestic pipes also. But that's not the real problem within the region. Uh, the issue within the region is we have very, very large water abstractions mm-hmm. from a very, very Small river, so the River Liffey, um, and at present eighty five percent of the entire public water supply for one point seven five million people is based on that abstraction from but the you're river. You
0: are losing a third of the supply through leakage. You might be might be better advised to, to to deal with that rather than trying to look for a new source.
6: And and that is that is what Ishka Erin is doing right now. So uh, we are investing heavily in leakage reduction within the region. We have a plan in place that will get that leakage down to twenty percent, but that will not. Eliminate By when did you say? uh, By 2030.
0: So you'll still be losing a, a fifth of the supply.
6: Um, that At at 2030, we will review the leakage figures again and we will always strive to get them below that. So, uh, within the Greater Dublin area, we're spending €100 million Euros a year on leakage reduction in the Greater Dublin area alone. That will go beyond, on beyond uh, 2030. But the real issue in Dublin is there is no plan B. If there is any issue or incident along the River Liffey, if there's any issue at one of our major water treatment plants, there is no supply for 1.7 million people. What's the
0: price tag? on the Shannon plan?
6: Uh, So, at present, the project is listed as uh, a project in advance uh, in excess of uh, one billion euros within the National Development Plan. Ishke Aaron has developed a preliminary business case, so a detailed outline costing for the project. That is Wick Cabinet uh, right now. It has been through an independent review by the Commission for the regulation of utilities. And will
0: one billion do it? Build it?
6: Um, we'll we'll see the outcome of that process. Obviously, we haven't gone through the planning stages for the project yet, uh, so the the real costs of that project aren't really known until the end of the planning process clear, when we carry out the detailed design.
0: You're saying that there are no other alter- alternative sources. There are no other um, uh, water sources in the, the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains, for example, or the River Slaney isn't an option. If Have you looked at all of those?
6: So we've looked at over 100 options for the Greater Dublin area, but it's not just an issue within the Greater Dublin area. We have water supply issues across the eastern and Midlands region. As I was saying, we've looked at over 100 options, including the River Slaney, including further sources in the Wicklow Mountains, but really the extent of the issue is such that we need a major new source and the preferred approach uh, for the region is the Shannon project.
0: And what's it going to mean for water levels in the Shannon and we've been talking about this? already with Malcolm Noonan, biodiversity and all the environmental impacts?
6: Well, it means very little in terms of water in the River Shannon. So we're looking to abstract at the maximum about 2% of the average flow of uh, the River Shannon. So it's a relatively small amount of water from a very, very large uh, water body. Uh, The River Shannon catchment covers about 20% of the country. So any rain falling across the country, 20% of that ends up within the River Shannon. So it's a very, very sustainable source and we're looking to abstract water from the bottom of that source so from the Parteen Basin uh, just before it turns uh, turns tidal downstream so we have storage there it's a really really sustainable source.
3: And
0: have you prepared an environmental impact assessment of what that would what what that would mean?
6: Uh, Yes so we will be um, we will be be submitting an environmental impact assessment report as part of the uh, planning permission for the project. that's not been project. released yet? It hasn't been released yet. That will be released when we go for planning permission. Is that
0: not the sort of thing that would help allay perhaps, lay people's fears in the Midwest?
6: Well, what we're proposing to do is before we put that project in for planning permission, we will do uh, a consultation with the public. So we'll bring some of that environmental information uh, to the fore during that uh, stakeholder consultation process.
0: Right. Before you can go for planning permission, you ha- have to get cab approval. It has to give the the green light to this. What what are you saying in terms of uh, the timescale that you'd like to see for that?
6: Well, uh, obviously the problems within the Greater Dublin area are problems that we're having now, so um, the timescales are very, very important uh, to us. Uh, The quicker we can get through those uh, approval stages, it will mean we can finalise our outline design and develop the planning documentations for submission. Uh, But it is is a large project, Mm -hmm. and it does have to go through a proper governance uh, process. It has been independent Independently reviewed by the CRU and major projects advisory. I mean, are
0: we, are we, are we weeks or months away from cabinet approval? Would you say? Uh,
6: well, uh, you can speak for I, the cabinet, obviously. I, I can speak for of the cabinet. Like. But, uh, we would like, um, we would like to see uh, a decision made as, as quickly, as quickly as possible. And that is for the people within the uh, greater Dublin area. However, we do understand that it is a very, very large project. It has to go through all of the checks and balances. And Ishka Erin can provide any further information if required.
0: Angela Ryan from Ishkair and thank you very much for talking to us. A High Court judge has said it's extremely unsatisfactory that secondary school teacher Enoch Burke is still being paid his full salary while the state is also incurring the cost of his continued imprisonment in Mountjoy Jail. Mr. Justice Mark Sh- uh, Sanfi made his remarks while reviewing Mr. Burke's imprisonment for contempt of a High Court order directing him to stay away from Wilson's Hospital School in County Westmeath. Our legal affairs correspondent Orla Donald joins us with more on this. So, well, what, what more did the judge have to say in his review of mr burke's imprisonment
7: well mr burke is still in mount joy he was jailed for the second time last september for breaching the order and he'd previously spent 108 days in prison in 2022 also for contempt of court Uh, and the matter was before the court today to see if he was willing to purge his contempt and to give an undertaking to abide by the court's order and the judge kept repeating that that was the only reason that was the only decision he could make in that court today it was the only matter that was before the court Uh, He outlined some of the background before Mr. Burke made his submissions and the judge said that in March last year, another High Court judge, Mr. Justice Brian O'Moore, had ordered Mr. Burke to pay a fine of almost €24,000 for continued contempt of court. And at that stage, uh, Mr. Justice Sanfi said the school seemed to have been invited to make an application for the temporary seizing of Mr. Burke's assets. But he heard today that no application was made, no fines have ever been paid, and Mr. Burke has not been pursued for the costs of any court proceedings to date. Uh, Mr. Burke has appealed his dismissal from the school. That appeal has yet to be heard and there's been further legal proceedings about those about that appeal. Uh, he, he made an unsuccessful challenge to the composition of the appeal board and lawyers for the school uh, said that Mr. Burke remains on administrative leave from the school on full salary while this appeal process is in abeyance.
0: And what order did Mr. Burke have to say to the court?
7: Well he first outlined his objections to the fact that his father, Sean, mother Martina, sister Amy, and brother Isaac were remained outside the courtroom. They were in the round hall in four courts uh, while he was inside because of a ruling that was made last week that they weren't allowed in due to their previous disruptive behaviour. I mean, Enoch Burke said this was a disgrace. And he made repeated submissions to the court about his, about his original dismissal, about his suspension, about the disciplinary proceedings against him and then about his suspension uh, and about a report that had been compiled by the school's previous principal. He said this report was about what he said was his non-acceptance of transgenderism. And he said he was begging the... the the court to accept the truth that he had been disciplined because of his beliefs and there was quite a bit of to and fro between Mr. Burke and the judge about that um, the lawyers for the school, Senior Counsel Alex White said the school acknowledged that Mr. Burke was being was entitled to hold any views he wished about anything but there was a dispute about whether his views should prevail in the school and about his conduct in the school and Mr. Burke said he was being asked to do something that was wrong and evil now the judge said Mr. Burke could make all these arguments to the appeal board but again his only function was deciding on and he said the situation was extremely unsatisfactory, Enoch Burke was being paid his salary, the state was incurring the costs of his imprisonment, he didn't seem to have made any effort to pay fines or costs Uh, and the judge said he was left with very little option but to continue the imprisonment and he said this was profoundly unsatisfactory but he adjourned everything until March the 22nd and he wants everybody back in court at that stage because he wants the school to put on affidavit and to give him legal submissions about the efforts they have made or anything they've pursued or considered in terms of considering all alternatives to imprisonment uh, but he said he wouldn't permit high court orders to be flouted now in response to that enoch burke said this decision made a mockery of him and he told mr sanfee mr justice sanfee that he was a man of truth
0: our legal affairs correspondent orla o'donnell orla thank you for that Irish peacekeepers in South Lebanon were sent to bunkers this morning after rocket fire close to their camp in the south of the country. Troops have taken, have had to take shelter on a regular basis as hostilities between Hezbollah and Israel intensify in the region. Our reporter, Justin McCarthy, is in South Lebanon. So what happened at uh, Camp Shamrock this morning, uh, Justin?
2: Well Brian we were uh, having breakfast here at Camp Shamrock and just before uh, 8 o'clock this morning there was a series of deafeningly loud explosions. They felt like they were very close to the camp and the procedure here when something like that happens is to immediately get to a nearby shelter. So we we got up and we ran. Uh, Some of the troops here go to armoured vehicles, some go to a command and control centre. And then the rest uh, get on their flak jackets and their helmets and they get into the bunkers as fast as possible, uh, which provide a degree of of protection from any shrapnel or misfired rockets. Then they do a count to make sure everybody is safe. And then they wait to see what happens. And we subsequently found out that there were uh, 37 rockets fired by Hezbollah into Israeli territory. um, And the location of the launch site for that rocket attack was just 930 meters away from the location where I'm speaking to you from now. Uh, So very close, I have to say quite sobering as an experience uh, to witness it. Um, We were in the bunker then for a couple of hours before the all clear was given. And afterwards, I spoke to Commandant uh, Joe Gleeson. He's the chief of staff here in South Lebanon. And he told me about the risks associated with these type of attacks. There's three main risks. If we were to start with the very first one, is that if a rocket drops short, I mean, there's an explosive warhead in those rockets, um, and obviously there's a danger area and a killing area associated with them. So if they drop short, there's a potential that they land on or close by to the camp. Second of all, if there's an iron dome interception over the camp, uh, that debris has to come down somewhere. Again, the warhead uh, is possibly still attached and it might have detonated. Um, And thirdly, then, there's the uh, strong possibility, as we have seen earlier on, of either Israel counter fire or harassing interdiction fire or indeed airstrikes. Justin, how frequent are, are these attacks? Well, they've become very frequent, Brian. Um, they're almost daily now. Since uh, October 7th, Hezbollah has been firing rockets into Israel as a show of support for Hamas and for Palestine due to uh, the war in Gaza. It's not just uh, Hezbollah firing rockets from this side of the border. There have been many Israeli counterstrikes uh, from Israeli warplanes and drones. And we witnessed uh, an airstrike ourselves uh, this morning at a position close to the blue line, a loud explosion explosion. explosion, plumes of black smoke then going up on the horizon here. About seven kilometers from the camp where we are, um, there's a constant sound of an Israeli drone overhead. Sounds like a lawnmower, uh, constantly going off both day and night uh, as they carry out their their surveillance operations um, and uh, targeting, uh, seeking locations Hezbollah targets uh, to to strike by by jet by air. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, as a result of all this fighting, uh, the death toll in this region is approaching now around 300 people. Uh, There's been tens of thousands of people displaced, mostly women and children who've moved either into north Lebanon from this area or on the Israeli side further south into Israel. Um, I think there are around 140,000 displaced on both sides of the border.
0: And what are the concerns of the Irish peacekeepers there if there's a further escalation?
2: Well, I suppose the concerns are twofold. Uh, The peacekeepers here, uh, for them it's becoming uh very difficult to keep the peace when you have attacks like this one on a daily basis um the, the peacekeepers are being uh, at times denied freedom of movement in some of the towns and villages which are controlled by Hezbollah um uh, and that there's always a risk that the troops would encounter a hostile situation on one of those patrols but the the bigger risk here is is a wider risk for the region that there could be a wider war uh, Israel which um are uh uh Iran, which provides weapons and support for Hezbollah says it doesn't want a wider war or a deep escalation to happen, but but Israel uh, says it wants the 60,000 or so of its citizens who've been displaced from around the blue line to move back into their homes. And in order for something like that to happen, you would imagine that Israel would have to increase its military presence and that would see a ratcheting up of hostilities with the Irish peacekeepers here stuck right in the middle.
0: Justin McCarthy at Camp Shamrock in South Lebanon. Thank you for that. And Justin will have further reports from Lebanon here on radio, on the RT News app and RT Television over the coming days. Back with more after this short break.
8: With so much to see and do, what will you discover on a short break in Northern Ireland? You could wander the medieval walled city of Derry before exploring the awe-inspiring Giant's Causeway and Causeway Coastal Route. Dip into Fermanagh's Lakelands or visit the historic city of Armagh. Dive into the depths of Belfast's Titanic experience then lose yourself in the majestic Mountains of Mourne. There's a yeah, superb think- choice of great Value hotels and accommodation, plus exciting restaurants and nightlife to suit every pocket. And it's so easy to get to by car and by train. Book your great Value short break now at North. NorthernIreland.com Northern Ireland.
0: Embrace a
8: giant spirit.
1: RTE Radio 1. Kings of Leon are back. Live in Dublin. Can we please have fun world tour? Marley Park, Saturday July 6th. Subject to license. With special guests, The War on Drugs. Tickets available this Friday at 9am from Ticketmaster.ie of Leon. Tickets available this Friday. Music updates on RTE
6: Radio 1.
1: Hello again,
0: you're listening to the News at One. Several safeguarding issues were discovered by the Health Information and Quality Authority, HECWA, in recent months during nursing home inspections. Fifteen nursing homes were inspected by the independent watchdog. They've been published this morning. To talk us through some of the findings, let's talk to Alva Keneally, our social affairs correspondent. Alva, this issue of safeguarding concerns in a number of homes, including one in, in County Leash.
3: Yeah, that's right. Uh, These um, safeguarding issues cropped up just in a number of these reports and sometimes it was down to staff not being trained in other situations. um, It was down to the basic reporting of safeguarding incidents. And at a home in County Leash, uh, inspectors discovered that a resident had sustained an injury while they were receiving personal care. Now, HICWA discovered that um, in the home's own investigation following the incident, it didn't take into the account the fact that there was only one member of staff with the resident uh, when the injury occurred that's despite the resident's care plan saying there should have been two members of staff present. There was also an investigation at that same home into unexplained bruising on a resident and HICWA says detailed statements were not taken from all staff involved in that resident's care to support the assertion that injury was related to the use of manual handling equipment
0: how, how incidents are followed up and investigated is, is, is key. And, and in that regard, there was a, an issue highlighted in Sligo.
3: Yeah. A significant complaint is how it's described was received about the care provided to a resident who had recently been discharged from it, from the centre. Now, the problem was that the potential allegation of abuse had not been followed up in line with the centre's own safeguarding policy and procedure. So there was no evidence that an investigation had even commenced in line with the procedures in place to protect remaining residents, for example.
0: there was also a case of non-compliance of one home in relation to food and drink.
3: Yeah, and this is sad because I suppose um, we view it as basic stuff, essentially, at a nursing home in County Kildare Inspectors, they weren't assured that residents always had access to a supply of fresh drinking waters. So what happened was when the inspectors went in and they arrived and they did their initial walk around, they noticed that there were jugs of water in the bedrooms, but they were mostly out of reach of the residents and then there was no glass with the jug and then this was observed again by the inspectors in the middle of the day that report also says that inspectors weren't assured that the food was properly cooked and served for example they observed food on breakfast trays besides sleeping residents which was left to go cold other foods like eggs were served inappropriately as it's described in the report in one instance a resident asked staff to locate their dentures but when the staff didn't return the food went cold.
0: Uh, but what do the inspectors find in regard to residents trying to access their belongings at a home in Mayo?
3: Yes, yeah, so some residents in this home, they couldn't easily access their wardrobes because their beds were obstructing the wardrobe doors. And this was the third inspection by Hickwa since 2021, where it was evident that residents couldn't access their belongings easily or as they wished. The provider did come back to Hickwa and said additional wardrobe space had been requested and resident bedrooms were being reconfigured Figured to ensure ease of access to those wardrobes in the rooms where they were identified um, as issues uh, at that home as well inspectors also found that the doors to the internal courtyard were locked um, and that meant residents didn't have ease of access to the outside area of that home
0: Alva thank you for that and all those reports I think published on HICWA's website that's right thank you for that Now, moving on, a Galway-based animal welfare charity has called on farmers to take action to reduce the number of collie pups being born. Madhra said that there has been a surge in the number of surplus working dogs that have been abandoned or given to rescue centres, with collies accounting for nearly half of all the animals brought to the county Galway pound last year. The charity has published an open letter to farmers urging them to stop the uh, careless process of breeding by Brain female dogs on this World Spade Spade Day. Let's talk to Don DeVille, who's director of operations with Mothera, and joins us now. Thank you for talking to us, um, Don Davilly. So, um, what, what are you noticing in, the, in terms of the numbers of working dogs which are coming to your attention?
8: Well, essentially, the, the numbers won't, aren't are unrelenting. So, this issue has been going on for years. We've been talking about it for years. And every year, it just the numbers just keep going up. Nothing seems to be, nothing seems to be working in terms of people stopping breeding their dogs unnecessarily. So we were we're based in rural Connemara, so obviously, uh, unsurprisingly, a, a large percentage of the dogs that come into us are collies, about sixty seventy percent a year. Um, but they're coming into us at all ages. You know, we we, we get lots and lots of litters of pups abandoned. And, and right now, what we're really seeing is a, a real trend in the, the, the sort of the older collies. So the collies that are about a year old, the adolescents, the sort of the young collies who don't come in as cute puppies that come in a bit older. Uh, they've been straying, potentially worrying livestock and they are, they are difficult to rehome. You know, they're not the easiest to rehome because ultimately, there are not enough homes for the amount of dogs there are in Ireland. I mean, right. it's 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 fact. Really.
0: Yeah, but you are satisfied that most of these animals are are being born on farms? they Are being born to working dogs?
8: Uh, ap- well, potentially yes, absolutely. Hmm. They're they're coming to us rurally. They are being picked up rurally. They're straying. They're not they're not straying from city homes. That that's for sure.
0: Right. So uh, what what are, are you, what are you saying then to the farming community in Connemara and elsewhere?
8: Well, we're really pleading with them. Anybody who owns a a, a farm dog or a sheep dog is please, please spay your female dogs. Um, Spaying is a a very healthy procedure. There is no there's there's little financial implications because rescues like us, um, lots of rescues have uh, subsidized schemes where you can get the spays. Uh, done cheaper or for free. We have a scheme ourselves where literally someone can apply online and they can have a spay done free at any of the participating vets in Galway. So there's lots of very health health reasons for the female dog where it's better to spay. But ultimately, the, the most important thing is that we really have to reduce the number of Unwanted dogs being born in Ireland. I just wonder uh,
0: why why a farmer wouldn't do that anyway, be, because of the inconvenience of of having a having pups that they don't want. Is it that they want to breed, but but they don't want the uh, all the animals that are born?
8: Yeah, absolutely. I, now I, I'm assuming a lot of farmers you know these days they, they still need some working dogs mm-hmm. for sheep and for livestock, and of course a collie, a female collie, can have anything up to ten puppies. So if you only need one or two dogs then and you breed your collie, then you're gonna end up with a surplus that mm. you don't need. So All the right. question is where do they go?
0: All right. And Don we'll leave it there. Director Operations with Madra and Galway. Thank you very much for that.
3: Sports on RTE Radio One.
0: Good afternoon to Siobhan Madigan. Siobhan.
3: Brian, thank you. Good afternoon. The participation of Constitution Hill at next month's Cheltenham Festival is in some doubt after he scoped badly. Following an under par work at Kempton Park this morning, the unbeaten hurdler was scoped and mucus was then detected. That sample will now be analysed further before his trainer, Nicky Henderson, along with the horse's connections, make any further announcements. Constitution Hill is expected to defend his champion hurdle title on the opening day of next month's Racing Festival festival with the Willie Mullins trained stateman hoping to close the gap having finished nine lengths adrift when the contest was run 12 months ago. Munster will have Craig Casey, Tom Ahern and Jerry Lockman available to them for Friday's United Rugby Championship meeting with the Zebrae in Cork. The trio have been released back to their province for game time with the Six Nations now on a down week ahead of the final two matches in March. The France coach Fabien Galtier will remain in his position despite his